Hi, and welcome to Screens in Focus podcast, where we share and connect as we spotlight our favorite shows and movies. I'm Diana. I'm Brittany. And this is episode 22. Today, we'll be reviewing season four, episodes nine and 10 of The Walking Dead with the lens of grief. Before we dive in, how are you doing today, Diana? I'm doing really good, Brittany. <laughs> Why do I? <laughs> I'm doing really good. <laughs> What's going on? Anyways, I'm doing really good. Uh, as you know, I'm doing my improv class, and I had a really good Monday, and um, this whole session has been really fun. Oh, good. So I'm really enjoying it. How, how's your week going? That's awesome. Well, it's kind of fun. It's a roller coaster <laughs> this week. But the good part is Diana and I both won in our <gasps> work health challenge. Diana won an Instant Pot, and I won two cookbooks. So Yay. we're doing good. <laughs> we are. Okay, Diana, it's recap time. <laughs> okay, season four, episode nine, After. Rick and Carl are on the road looking for food and shelter, dealing with inner and outer wounds, while wondering if surviving is enough. Michonne is doing the same as she is haunted by her past and deciding on what road to take. Season 4, Episode 10, Inmates. Oh my god, what a shocker. Everyone who survives the prison attack are the main characters. Can you believe it? (laughs) I would have never saw that coming. Anyway, they are all separated. Beth is with Daryl. Tyrese got the worst group. (laughs) He got Lizzie, Mika, and Judith. (laughs) Then Carol joins them. They find the first sign leading to Terminus reading Sanctuary for All, Community for All, Those Who Arrive, Survive. Bob is with Maggie and Sasha. Glenn is by himself at first, and then he finds Tara, and they escape the prison together. We're then introduced to Eugene, Abraham, and Rosita, who are new main characters that I really never cared for, to tell you the honest-to-God <laughs> truth. <laughs> okay, Diana, let's talk about the theme of grief. Where did you see it? I saw it with Carl. He was experiencing the second phase of grief, which is anger. Mm-hmm. He was so angry with Rick. At first, he couldn't even deal with Rick. He walked ahead of him and wouldn't even help him. I mean, Rick was severely wounded. He could barely walk. In everything that Carl did, it reflected how frustrated, disappointed, and angry he was. He is 18, and he was acting out. (laughs) He didn't know how to work through his emotions of losing everyone, and unfortunately, he took it out on his dad. At one point, when Rick was unconscious, Carl tells his dad, I saved you. I didn't forget while you were playing farmer. (laughs) I know how to survive. I can protect myself. You couldn't protect Judith or Herschel. And starts naming all the others. Glenn, Maggie, Michonne, Daryl, or Mom. Mm. You just wanted to plant vegetables and hide. They counted on you. You were their leader. But now you are nothing. As he cries, he says, I'd be fine if you were dead. And I was like, oh, my God. As I listened to him say this, I cried. I cried because I knew he was in pain and didn't really mean it. 
but still the words cut. And I felt so bad for Rick. Mm -hmm. Being a parent, sometimes it is hard to know the right thing to do when you are raising your kids. You just do the best that you can with all the love, the experience, and faith you have. Carl experienced grief and growth in this episode, and he handled himself with walkers. He cleared houses, he found food, he dealt with his feelings, and with the possibility of losing his father. And it was at that point that I saw him grow up. Definitely. I also want to point out that I thought Chandler Riggs did an incredible job in this episode. Even though I didn't like what his character did to his father, it was because he was so convincing that I was affected. That's so true, Diana. And I think Carl will probably feel, maybe he already does feel, a little guilt for the things that he said to his dad, too. And it'll show later in the ways that he shows up and appreciates Rick later. Mm -hmm. At least I hope he does. I don't remember specifically what happens next, but I hope that it kind of charges him to have a little more gratitude towards Rick rather than, you know, I know he's grieving. But I definitely see the growth and I hope that he does grow beyond it and tries to manage his feelings and his actions towards his dad better Mm -hmm. in the future. But I did also see grief with Michonne. She's also another part of that episode and I think that She's grieving many losses along with everyone else, right? But specifically her son and her late love, Mike. I forget if they were married or just together or whatever. But at this point, it's day 505 of the apocalypse. Wow. I know. I looked up the timeline. Yeah. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that these characters have forgotten about those that they lost before. When Michonne and her walker pets find Rick and Carl's footprints, it's kind of as if Michonne is at her crossroads. Does she follow this and see if it's her her friends, her people, or does she just keep going and try to survive on her own? And her grief is a huge factor in this. It's as if she's asking herself if these people are worth fighting for and looking for, or if she wants to let herself care for again. And then she sees a walker that looks like her doppelganger, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it vigorously unnerves her. She kind of loses it. She kills her new walker pets, (laughs) and I think it's like a foil to what she's been doing, right? Like, she sees this walker aimlessly walking around, and maybe she feels like that's what she's been doing. She's withdrawn. She's aimlessly walking just in survival mode. She doesn't have a true meaning or purpose to her life right now. But her flashback of Mike, Terry, and then their son shows us that there's a lot to unpack as to why Michonne is so closed off, why holding Judith made her react so viscerally to Beth that one day. She has lost the people she loved most before she met Rick's group. And even though it was a long time ago, Michonne's heart still aches for them. She's been grieving for such a long time and no one knows it. I know many people who still feel the pain of losing someone, and sometimes time doesn't help. I don't think that um, there's a fixed amount of time to make it okay or feel better. Some losses just leave that gap in your heart. But maybe there's something to be said about Michonne depriving herself of new genuine connections, because maybe she feels that if she moves on and if she 
cares for new people, it means she's moved on from her son and her lover. And I maybe she doesn't want that. Maybe that's an added layer of guilt for her. So it makes sense to me that Michonne remained distant and in survival mode. It's all part of her grieving process. And earlier in her dream, Mike had asked her what the point was of surviving. And I'm so glad that by the end of the episode, she realized it was actually living and love was the reason. And she really needed to let people in rather than keeping them out. And I thought even though she didn't have too many talking points and too much dialogue, like that was still really powerful to me. It was, you know, you just made me realize that most of the episode, except for Carl giving those speeches to his dad, but most of it was just watching them experience what they were going through, Mm -hmm. which was really good. Totally. It was very powerful. Yeah. And I don't like the moments between characters when they just stare at each other and they don't talk. But with this, a lot of, you know, the the, Michonne was on her own. And then in the next episode, Glenn, Glenn was on yeah. his own, mm-hmm. and we watched exactly. both of them just silently. So it was it was right. really cool. Yeah. I liked it. And me too. I also saw grief with Tara um, and how she was feeling with her part of the takedown of the prison and Herschel and her losing her sister. She feels such guilt for believing in Brian, a.k.a. Philip. And talks about how he killed that old man and Glenn asks if she means Herschel. And she tells him yes and how sorry she is and that she is a piece of shit and doesn't understand why Glenn wants to help her. But Glenn says he needs her help to find his wife and explains that Herschel was a really good man and told him that all he had to do was believe. And so he believes he will find Maggie. Tara wants to believe too, and Glenn tells her she has to. And then he passes out, and she immediately (laughs) kicks it in gear and fights off walkers, which is helping her to cope with her grief. Definitely. Brittany, did you see grief anywhere else in the episodes? Yes, I did. I saw it with Tyrese and Sasha. They are separated. And they don't know if the other made it out alive or where the other is. And these are the times that I get so anxious for the characters, wondering if they will make their way back to each other. And these are the moments where I wonder how I would fare in the zombie apocalypse. I don't have an extremely large family, but I'm imagining if each of us were separated. Think about it. Rick's group has been divided into groups of one to five, Mm -hmm. spread out with no mode of communication and no central meeting point. I know losing someone is a pain that's too real and close to many of us, but what really kills me about Tyrese and Sasha, and I guess everyone in Rick's group, actually, now that I think about it, what really kills me for them is that they don't know whether or not they should be grieving. They don't have an answer if their loved ones are dead or if they're merely roaming around looking for each other. Since this is a TV show and a graphic novel, (laughs) there's an author looking out for our main characters, right? (laughs) But in real life, I'm not confident that this group would have been so lucky to have everyone in their main group survive. Mm -hmm. It's the same pain I think Carol felt when Sophia went missing, and they didn't find her for so long. It's the not knowing whether or not you should give up and mourn them, 
or deciding to continue to search for them and maintain that hope. Plus, 505 days into the apocalypse, it's not like when Rick just woke up and went searching for his family. It was just the beginning. These people have seen so much death, so much violence, and endured so much hardship for so long. That is so emotionally and mentally Mm -hmm. draining and distressing. I know loss is huge, but for these characters right now, I really feel for them because they all must be so disoriented and frustrated on the inside and so tired, even if they're struggling to be determined to find each other on the outside. Okay, Diana, what are other things that you noticed? So I really liked listening to Beth's narration of her diary entry, which is right around the time that they find the prison. In hearing about all of her hopes, she talks about them needing a place for Lori and all of them to be safe, about being able to wake up in a bed of her own. Mm -hmm. She talks about being afraid of getting her hopes up and that sometimes She's afraid that being afraid is easier, but that her daddy told her that if you don't have hope, then what is the point of living? Mm -hmm. So she unpacked her bags and found her diary and says that you should write down your wishes to make them come true. So she wrote that she hopes to live at the prison the rest of their lives. That's sad. It was. Her narration was juxtaposed with the action of her and Daryl running and fighting with walkers and finally laying down in a field from exhaustion. With what they have been through, I am so glad that Beth hasn't lost complete hope. And I love that she keeps on pushing Daryl to not give up on hope either. And I also love that these episodes pay tribute to Herschel's memory and inspire the group to have faith. Yes, and it's just like you said, Herschel really left an imprint on everyone in the group and especially his daughter. So it was really nice to see Mm -hmm. that little sprinkling of Herschelness around. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to talk about Mika and Lizzie's sister relationship and their dynamic. So Lizzie and Mika are young. They need a lot of care and attention, of course. However, Tyrese can't fully give them that because he has baby, itty bitty baby Judith to focus on. I don't blame him. That's a really difficult nannying job. Two girls under 10, a baby, and surviving the walker-infested woods. Yeah, that's nothing if not a challenge, to say the least. He got the worst group. Yeah. (laughs) He did. Anyway, so Mika and Lizzie's banter back and forth, it shows us how different they are from each other. Yes, Mika can be seen as seemingly weak or sensitive or more emotional than Lizzie, but I actually think she is the one with more emotional intelligence. Mika understands social awareness, how others perceive her, And she's self-aware that she's struggling with being forced out of this prison, separated from the rest of the group. Mika's also better at relationship building with others. Honestly, for the fact that she values human lives over walker lives. (laughs) Her self-management needs help, but give the girl a break. She's like six, so let's just give her a hand for getting a grip this far. Lizzie, on the other hand, is the total opposite. She's not self-aware. 
the way she talks about and thinks of walkers is not on par with the norm. Lizzie does not know that other people think she's crazy. Her social awareness is out the window. Her relationship building is the worst. She's a bully to Mika. She makes passive aggressive statements and she doesn't respect her elders. Oh my God. She also does not identify with the kids. Her self-management is really the only thing this girl's got going for her because she does know how to survive, thanks to Carol. But I just feel so sad for these little girls, especially mm -hmm. Mika. She is torn between thinking she is not good enough when she tells Tyrese, I know I'm not like Lizzie, and then knowing that Lizzie is messed up and she says that Lizzie doesn't understand walkers and it must feel so frustrating to not feel heard or taken seriously, especially when you know your sister best. I feel like Mika is trying to get the attention of the adults to help her sister, but there's just never time to deal with it. The adults have to keep them safe and keep making choices to survive rather than the luxury of focusing on interpersonal problems within their souls. <laughs> I know. And let's not forget about the rabbits in the episode. Yeah. So she likes walkers, doesn't want to kill them, but will torment other animals. Yeah. Maybe right. she's wondering if they're going to turn. I don't know. She's delusional is what she is. Whacked out little kid, which is scary. <laughs> okay. So I want to bring up the episode entitled After. Um, it was written by Robert Kirkman and directed by Greg Nicotero, which I found very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, the plot came from the comic book series and Chandler Riggs has said that this was his favorite episode and I can see why, because <laughs> so much of it focused on Carl. Although I wasn't thrilled with how Carl treated Rick with some of the decisions he made, um, I can see why these steps were important for him. Even though I know Carl survives the episode, I still found myself on the edge of my seat. Two separate times he was almost bitten by the walkers. First, when he lured the two walkers away from the house, and then that other one comes up behind him and almost gets him, and he ends up shooting them all as they are all piled up on top of him. I mean, it scared the bejesus out of me. Then he fights with another walker in the house and finally traps it in the room and writes on the door something like, walker inside, he got my boot, but not me. <laughs> It was just such a cute. And then, as a reward to himself, he eats a big tub of pudding. He's pretty lucky to find that tub. Yes. And it's funny because there's that. He's sitting on the rooftop and there's a walker inside, you know, and he's reaching outside the window, like trying to get him. But Carl's all, I'm enjoying my pudding here. Then, when he's uh, back at the house... Um, He's with Rick, and he hears gurgling, and he thinks Rick has turned. <laughs> and it is at that point he tries to shoot Rick, but says, I can't. I was wrong. And then basically gives up and says, do it. Then he hears Rick say his name and realizes he's alive and tells his dad he is scared. It made me think about how terrifying the world must be to him right now with all the loss he has experienced and to almost lose your dad, the last human being you know and love. 
must be a horribly frightening time. Definitely. I love the ending of the episode after when Michonne knocks on the door and Rick looks through the peephole and laughs and tells (sighs) Carl, it's for you. (laughs) It was such a good ending to such an emotional episode. That's true. And lastly, I want to bring up We talked about this briefly before, but with both Michonne and Glenn's parts in their episodes, there was slim to no dialogue because they were alone. And that really spoke volumes to me. They both rebooted into survival modes with Michonne creating her two new pets (laughs) (laughs) and Glenn tactically figuring out how to get out of the prison alive. And actually... Watching Glenn's scene of being caught in the middle of those 20-something walkers made me so upset with how he dies. On his knees, powerless, and at the hands of such a two-dimensional caricature. Glenn was determined, quick-thinking, and a true leader. I was just so angry watching him because we know how capable and brave he is, and I think his character deserved more. I 100% agree. Okay, so this week I honestly don't have enough material to say why I love Rick. So get back to me next week. But for now, (laughs) Diana, I would like to know why you love Rick. Well, I love Rick because he loves his son. Yes, I sound like a broken (laughs) record, but truly, I love that Rick is a good father and always respects his son. He calls him out for swearing. But at the same time, he sees what he has done to help them survive and apologizes and says he is a man. He recognized that his son needed to be acknowledged. And I just love him for that. That's a really good point. I like that. Thank you. Okay, Diana, what are you currently watching? So I'm watching So You Think You Can Dance. Um, The solo editions are over and now they have what they call the Academy and it's choreographed dancing. So it's really good. And I also watched the first episode of Sharp Objects on HBO with Amy Adams. And I can say I was intrigued, even though the character seemed a little predictable, but I really like Adam. So I will continue to watch. And I know you might have a few things to say about that too. Um, I also watched <laughs> The Bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I watched Red Table Talk and It's a powerful episode on addiction. It was very emotional, and I cried within one minute of the episode. So it's it's a good thing to watch. And then for movies, I on TV I watch Everest, and that is a 2015 movie with a star-studded cast. It is based on the real events of the 1996 Mount Everest disaster and focuses on the survival attempts of two expedition groups, one led by Rob Hall, played by Jason Clark, and the other by Scott Fisher, uh, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. This was a really good movie, and I would recommend it. And I also rewatched the movie Logan, and I think I liked it even better the second time around. I am a, a huge X-Men fan, and I love Wolverine because of <laughs> Hugh Jackman. He has played the role 17 years in nine films. I think that is crazy. And he's always been awesome at it. And I just love his broodiness and his heart. And it's a good film. I also liked Jurassic 
world, Fallen Kingdom, I was pleasantly surprised. I di it didn't get the highest reviews, but I enjoyed it. And Jeff Goldblum was great. And I wished he had been in more of the film. <laughs> and I have to say, I was so sad when the volcano erupted and the ship was taking off and it left behind the beautiful long neck Brachiosaurus. I know how you pronounce that. You're Brachiosaurus. That right. mm -hmm. Anyways, he was so scared and alone and seemingly crying out for help as it was trapped on this flaming, disintegrating island. And I was just so sad. It was just so painful to watch. I agree. And then I read that it was the same one that was in the first movie. Oh. I know. Making it that much That makes it worse. Worse. <laughs> so sad. Okay, Brittany, what are you currently watching? So I'm re-watching Boy Meets World. Jimmy and I have been re-watching it from season one. There's only seven seasons. As a kid, I thought there were like 20. <laughs> <laughs> I guess time moved more slowly as a child, which I totally miss. <laughs> I love it. Time you. does go slower when you're a kid. <laughs> it does. It feels like summer feels like yeah. forever. Yeah. So right now would have been like, wow, it's been summer for a year. <laughs> no. <laughs> But anyway, I love these characters. They're so classic. And it's such a good show for kids to watch. Even in the 90s, it touched on topics like racism, sexism, religious freedom, civil disobedience, parenting, and plenty of other relevant issues. We always end up laughing and saying, oh, well, mostly me, not Jimmy. <laughs> And I really want my future kids to watch this. It's chock full mm. of great material. It's heartwarming. And yes, I also watched Sharp Objects, that miniseries on HBO. So Jillian Flynn is the writer of the novel that it's based on. And she was also the writer of Gone Girl. And I didn't think that movie was as good as the book. So I am happy that this is going to be a miniseries rather than a movie so that it can unpack everything. So that's good. Um... The first episode was okay, but it made me uncomfortable how the only two people of color I saw were a housemaid, basically a servant, mm. okay, mm -hmm. and a homeless guy. And people were like, oh, it's Missouri. What do you expect? Oh, so there's not black people in Missouri? Okay. Anyway, maybe I'm being too critical, but I think this really highlights the bigger issue of Hollywood and entertainment. We just need more people of color who are writers, actors, screenwriters, in the producer seat to have more diverse content and characters. I love Amy Adams and Jillian Flynn is really known for writing good stories, but I don't really know how to feel about this yet. It is beautifully shot though and delicately woven together as far as um, watching it in film editing, but I did read the book so I know what's going to happen so I don't know if that's affecting me, mm. but let's see if they change anything. I always find that interesting. Yeah. So we'll see. For movies, I watched Sunday's Illness is on Netflix. It's a Spanish film about an almost non-existent mother-daughter relationship. So Annabelle, the mother, she abandoned her daughter, Kiara, years ago. And now that Kiara's grown, probably in her 30s, I think, she finds her mother and asks Annabelle to spend 10 days with her. She doesn't want money, doesn't want property. She just wants those 10 days. That's all she asks of her. And the film has many moments of silence and kind of leaves you feeling uncomfortable sometimes, <laughs> but it has a powerful effect. I don't know that I would recommend it to everyone, but there was 
a lot of talk about it. I don't think it was Sundance, but another festival that people really liked it. So watch your own risk, I guess. <laughs> I also watched The First Purge. I love all the Purge films. I know a lot of people do not enjoy horror if it's too realistic or gory or serial killer-ish or just focused on murder or that involve crazy stories like this, but I think it's always a little telling of our current society. Oh <laughs> gosh, I hope not. <laughs> it's, it's a little scary. Um, yeah. I think if you watch the first three, though, and you enjoyed them, you'll like this one, too. Uh, I actually think this is the best one. In my opinion. This is all my opinion. Mm. It explores issues that we're going through right now with race and brutality against people of color, especially African-American men and women, unfortunately. People might roll their eyes at the exaggeration of racism in the presence of Nazis or the KKK, but I'm glad that the writers and producers aren't letting America forget about the hatred that does go on still. Though the premise of The Purge may be really unbelievable, I don't think this specific storyline is that far off from reality, unfortunately. But it's entertaining, so if you want, you can watch it. Diana and I were talking briefly about how The Purge is, like, kind of unrealistic. But I agree with you, because if The Purge was real, you know lots of people would be at Best Buy and Walmart and whatever, <laughs> buying, stealing things for themselves yeah. rather than killing people. Like, come on, people. Yeah. There's no rules for 12 hours, and you're not going to go down a Safeway and get a right. bunch of groceries. <laughs> like screen TV, a brand new car. Yes. Come on. That's funny. <laughs> All right, Diana, we are at, and the award goes to, what was your favorite quote, character, or moment? My favorite was Carol for showing up at the perfect time before Lizzie smothers that baby. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I love Carol to the rescue. Funny, but she was a little hesitant when seeing <laughs> Tyrese because she wasn't sure what he knew and how he would react, but... He gives her a big hug because he doesn't know. And also, he is so glad to see her since taking care of three young girls ain't easy. <laughs> I love Carol. Who does your award go to? Um, I like the conversation between Bob and Sasha. So my favorite quote was Bob when he says, maybe we didn't survive just to keep surviving. And Sasha responds saying, not everything has to mean something. But Bob stands his ground and he says... No, it doesn't have to, but it can. If you make it that way, and that's what it seems like we're doing, and I'm done with that. So I think it's important to remember to make meaning out of your life, even if you're focused on just surviving till the next day or the next hour, even. Yep. So that's our show. Thanks for tuning in. We are grateful you tuned in, and we hope something we said today resonated with you, gave you a chuckle, some happiness, some positivity, or inspiration. Please subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. We would love more members of our TV club. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. We need your feedback. We'll be uploading new episodes every Tuesday, and the next show will be on Season 4, Episodes 11 and 12. You can find our blog at the link listed in our description. See you next time. Bye! Bye!